0: So as I mentioned earlier, gifts are something that come up all the time in church life. When we talk about spiritual gifts. I mean, it's gotten to be such a big deal. Did you know that Lifeway, the major publishing house, has a spiritual gifts inventory you can take? I mean, you've got to be so serious that at that point Lifeway, who's got more important things to publish than just a, a form, actually decides that that's what they're going to do. The UMC, the United Methodist Church, has a whole thing that they offer to every single church that if you want to have a spiritual gifts inventory, well, you can just take it and you will know what your spiritual gifts are. And certainly most churches have gone through a phase at some point in their lives that they do the time, talent, and treasure survey. If any of you had to fill one of those out, do you know what I'm talking about? You know, it, it, it kind of goes through all these check boxes of all the programs that the church does, and it sort of pigeonholes you into doing a specific set of things, right? But what we really need are X, Y, and Z. And without doubt, what happens is it's also tied into the amount that you intend to tithe and the other things you're going to do. And so what ends up coming about is you have the same 30 people checking the same 30 boxes giving the same 30 pledges and then submitting it. And we're all like, well, I wonder why we don't get new people to do things. And we also often point to 1 Corinthians 12 to give a sense of how spiritual gifts work. That's the one that talks about You know, we're all part of a body, but we all have different gifts, and some of us are able to speak in tongues, some of us are able to teach, some of us are able to preach. We've all got different skills. Well, that sounds terrific. But I wanted to look at a couple other passages as we've started talking about this whole Easter moment, coming to an Easter movement, to think about spiritual gifts a little differently. If we've heard these same things over and over again, if it's gotten such a big deal that Lifeway's printing an inventory, well, maybe it's time to turn the gem just a little bit. And so we started with this First Chronicles passage. Now, Chronicles is like a lot of those other early Old Testament books, like you're aware that they exist. I mean, it's sort of like uh, Jacksonville Jaguars winning season. Like you're aware it exists, but you've actually never seen one. Uh, so you just, you just kind of hope that someday you'll actually get into it, right? First Chronicles is just the same. So fingers crossed you all will go to First Chronicles because then maybe we'll have a winning season this year. We'll see. But First Chronicles, like, like kings and like some of these others, tell the story of the people of Israel from their beginning to their unfortunate demise. And this passage is situated right within the story of David getting ready to go to battle against Saul to take the throne of the kingdom. And there's a list of a whole lot of tribes of Israel that have decided to work for David and against Saul. And here is the tribe of Issachar. Now... For those of you who know how to rattle off all 12 tribes of Israel, or you're trying, usually Issachar is not the first one that rattles off your mind. They're kind of a small tribe. They're off to the side. And the only thing we hear about them up to this point is that they're pretty good warriors. They know how to fight. And yet here, we hear a little something different. That the tribe of Issachar understood the times. They were aware of what was going on. Their gifting, then, was to understand what was happening right around them and to help make decisions. Now, this might mean people who might not always look like they are directly from the center. This is not the Levites we're talking about. This is not the folks who were the priests, who were the ones that were in the temple, who all had this sort of religious knowledge right there right in their wheelhouse. Instead, this is somebody out on the edges, yet somehow knew what the people of Israel should do. It was those folks on the edges, the folks that don't get a lot of celebration in the Old Testament, the folks that we don't rattle off the tongue right away. Well, they're the ones that might have something to say about how the world is supposed to go. So we keep that in mind with this Luke passage today and it seems like Jesus might be encouraging something similar. This is the story of the calling of Matthew, although for some reason in this text, in Luke, Matthew's called Levi. But when you read the corresponding stories in Matthew and Mark, you can see that this is the same call story. And Matthew's a tax collector. Now, I know we've got plenty of accountants in this membership, and so whenever I start talking about tax collectors, I'm always like, I apologize that your career doesn't always get the best play in in the Bible, but this is how it is. He's a tax collector, and it doesn't put Matthew in the most terrific standing within the community. Because you see, the tax collector and these folks were oftentimes Jewish folks that were meant to exact the taxes to Rome from the people, well often not only did it put them in a compromising position in terms of basically having to work for the occupying force because Rome was basically consuming the kingdom of Israel, right? So not only is it having to work for your occupiers, but then it often was a position that was tended to having to deal with corruption and oppressing the poor, all these kind of things that most of Scripture says is a bad idea to do being a tax collector just kind of predisposed you to it. And yet, here Jesus is inviting him to be part of the disciples and to follow him in ministry. A tax collector, y'all. I mean, it wouldn't be that far of a stretch to say, pick the... Pick the sort of occupation off the top of your head that you're like, meh, I don't know about these folks. I mean, but lawyers, I know we got a lot of those. Politicians, I mean, that's the kind of person we're talking about, right? The society's like, I don't know about these folks. And Jesus says, you, tax collector, come join me. And Matthew drops Everything and follows him. It is not just to drop everything and follow him, he then immediately throws a big party in celebration, inviting all of his tax collector buddies, all of his besties, and says, man, you should really see this Jesus guy. And wouldn't you know it, as things usually go in the Gospels, Somebody gets a little grumpy. The Pharisees start to complain. They start to grumble. They look over to the disciples and they say, Why would your leader, why would your rabbi choose to spend time with tax collectors of all people? Jesus' response, as Jesus does over and over and over again, is a reminder that he goes to those that are perceived to be the ones who don't necessarily fit the mold. Jesus doesn't have a terrible lot of energy for the Pharisees who believe that they control everything that's going on in the temple and synagogue life, the religious life. Instead, he reaches out to those who are on the outside and invites them to have a change of heart, to see a life changed, and to follow him. Those who are on the edge are invited to see a new way of living. And then as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, that actually cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because the more that we see those on the outside brought to the inside, well, then we have to renegotiate what is outside and what is inside. And it's really hard if you sit as a Pharisee or a scribe to have to have your mind changed and have your own metanoia moment. Because you're kind of the one who gets to have control of things. I mean, at the end of the day, we ought to wonder if the scribes and Pharisees had had their day in this text. What would this scene have looked like? My guess is Matthew, dear Matthew, the tax collector, who writes the gospel of Matthew, we feel pretty certain about that would not have been a disciple at all had the scribes and pharisees had their way had the scribes and pharisees not not been you know ignored and pushed aside by jesus had the pharisees and scribes had their way this party that we saw might not have happened And as you look throughout most of the scripture, when these moments happen, there are some who think it's fantastic, some who are like, okay, well, this was good that happened, and some folks just ignore it altogether. So I would presume that this party led to a couple more tax collectors finding a change of heart. Because you see, Jesus saw a gift Perhaps in Matthew, Jesus saw a gift of hospitality unused and underappreciated, and the moment that it was an opportunity to extend the gifts of God throughout the land beyond where the Pharisees and scribes believe it, simple as throwing a party, well, something changed. So then, dear friends, perhaps our gifting and the way that we welcome gifts might not, after all, be about the institution that uses them, but how the institution is changed by who is brought in and the gifting of those who are welcomed in. And this can be so hard for the modern American church. Especially if, for instance, we have believed that the best way to run the church is like a business, right? Because, hey, we are America, we are capitalists, we do a really good job of this, so you know what we should do? We should run the church like a business, We might lend ourselves to believe that a particular set of skills is the only way to be successful, that perhaps the ultimate end of the church is to be as big and as wealthy as you can be. And that is the fundamental measure of what goodness is in the church. And so maybe we call the gifts of the successful CEO, the successful CFO, and we say that is the only way that we can actually do the good work of the church. And then we sort of grumble and we wonder why there are artists and teachers and other folks on a session. I mean, seriously, if we're going to get it right, says our Pharisees and scribes, I mean, shouldn't we just have a bunch of business folks who know how to grow things? I mean, isn't that enough? In the end, we can be left with the question of what we're attempting to achieve at all. But I wonder if that's not a whole lot different than the Pharisees wondering why the tax collectors are part of the story. I mean, for goodness sakes, most of the disciples were fishermen. And they seemed to do pretty well for themselves, didn't they? I mean, you're here. You're here. Because Jesus thought a bunch of fishermen had the kind of gifts that could tell the story well. A couple thousand years later, you're showing up on a Sunday morning hearing about it over again. That ought to say something to us about gifts beyond business acumen and all the things that we aspire to. Instead, it ought to be, what is the Spirit calling us to at this place and this time? Friends, our ability to see each person with a unique set of gifts that perhaps help us understand the world better and might change their lives if they're given a chance to use them means that we ought not see everything in the church as merely transactional or instrumental, but instead as mutually transformational. What is it like... If you are a new member to this church, and I know we look a little low today, but let me tell you, over the last few weeks, I've watched a lot of new people wander through these doors because they are excited about the church that we're becoming. They hear about us. When I sit and talk to somebody about what they're doing, what we're doing, I hear all the time, man, I've been waiting for a church to be like that. And I see some heads nodding, so I know I'm not the only one who's having those stories and having those conversations around San Marco. And you know what we do? We say, hey, welcome to the church, y'all. You know what we really need? <laughs> we need somebody to wash the dishes on Sunday afternoon. Hey, you know what we need, Parent. Who works with their kids six days out of the week? We need somebody shoved into the nursery. You know what we need? We need warm bodies. <laughs> I mean, and listen, I'm as guilty of it as the next guy, as a pastor. See, a new person, they're young, they seem like they know things. But you know what I didn't ask? Or you know what we don't ask then? Hey, what? where do you find your passion in this world? You know, if we believe that God made you good and holy, what, what do you find as a gift? Who are you called to be? I wonder what the church would be like. I wonder if all these folks that We're so concerned about getting here. If we ask that question as opposed to, can you be a warm body in the nursery? I wonder how they'd feel. I wonder where their hearts would be. What would it be like if somebody walks through this door for the first time? And maybe it's good that it's just us friends here, right? Just us pals. I don't see any new folks here this Sunday. It's was kind of like inside talk. What would it be like if we looked at the person who came through these doors and we asked ourselves, how would this person be brought to life by the gospel of Jesus Christ? How could we be transformed? How could we have a metanoia simply because of their existence here and we brought to life all the good that they have Wait, doesn't that sound like church? Doesn't that sound like the thing you always wanted? And sure, maybe it doesn't mean that you know, we've got all of the right movers and shakers added up in the right positions, and now we're growing and we're shaking, we're doing a lot of good things, but you know what? The gospel wasn't about that, Friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ was not about how big and how wealthy we were. It was about making sure that we pointed to the one who was resurrected and we say, look at how God's action is alive in this world today. Unsurprisingly, that has nothing to do with the metrics so, I wonder what it would be like if we just said we want a whole church of people who we can point to and say, look at God's action in the world, because we point out their gifts and we say this is worth celebrating, even if we thought they were on the margins, even if we thought they weren't the folks who should show up here on Sunday. Maybe we'd learn something as a result. So, how do we do things differently? Well, I think it's starting with what matters the heart of each person, the spirit. That's within us. In your bulletin today, if you pull it out, please, you will see a really nice blue piece of paper. And this blue piece of paper asks for what seem to be really simple, benign questions. My most significant gift is... Well, first off, please put your name on it. Helpful to know who you are. My most significant skill is, my most significant passion is, this is something I know well enough that I could teach it to someone else. Dear brothers and sisters, if our scriptures tell us anything, these are the spiritual gifts that we should be focused on. What if we had a church full of people that were using their passions to think that God made them to be good and very good for the work of God's holy commonwealth? Wouldn't that be a fun church to be a part of? You know, whenever I talk to folks about this, you know, I use the example of the last one. You know, what are the, what's the thing you'd love to, do you love to do so much that you'd teach it to somebody else? And you know what I say every time? I love to build computers. Love to do that. It has been one of my favorite hobbies since I was young, building computers. And I would love to teach a class to this church Tearing a computer down and building it up. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound very instrumental to the kingdom of God, does it? But maybe, maybe it's a chance for relationships to form. Maybe it's a chance to see something you've never seen before. Maybe you meet somebody who they themselves are struggling with their computer, and you could say, you know what? I actually learned how to upgrade my RAM in my desktop. Let me show you. Where'd you learn that? Oh, if you could believe it, South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. Oh, you know, maybe that might be enough for somebody to want to show up. Anytime I do this, you know, I get these, I get these really fun ones. I get, I really love budgeting. I really love gardening. I really love sewing. And these are folks who, like, do not look like folks who love to sew. They're, you know, their their judges and their executives with the State Department and all this kind of stuff. Folks I've known in my past, and they're like, you know what? I love so much that I'd love to. Te- I really like budgeting. Cool. The kingdom of God needs good budgeters. So here's what I want you to do for a couple minutes. I want you to fill out that questionnaire. Because here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to have a church that instead tries to pigeonhole you into things and wonder why you're here. I'd love it to be a church where your passions and your gifts were brought to life. Because there might be five or six of you that are really good at something that we didn't even realize you were good at. And maybe we ought to change our programming to allow you to be all that you are meant to be because maybe that means others can be who they're called to be. Maybe it's not the thing that you do for a living. Maybe you'd hate to do the thing you do for a living at the church. There are plenty of folks like that. Like, yeah, I've done this all my life. I need to go someplace where I don't have to do that. Great, don't put that. Let's see what this church can be. If we actually used our gifts and our passions towards the gift of God's commonwealth. So take a couple moments for those of you who are online. We'll put those pictures up again, and we're going to send this out on Monday in an email blast in case you need a little bit of deep reflection, although these should be things that just come up in your heart. And then we'll, we'll, we've got the baskets. You can drop them off that. So let's take a couple minutes, if, Michael, you don't mind doing a little noodling while a little writing music, and we'll go from there. The kingdom of God, dear brothers and sisters, is made from the folks who are on the edges the tax collectors those that we don't believe it's not always the pharisees and the scribes so let's discover the gifts of those who are on the edges thanks be to god